Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and the profit line. Hi, I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. You may know me from my first business, Honeycombers, which is a digital lifestyle guide, providing you with everything you need to know to enjoy your local city. We operate in Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali, and this year we're in our 15th year of operation. Or perhaps you know me as the founder of Launchpad, a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet and profit together to build better businesses. So what does it take to create a heart-led business? Join me and together we're going to learn how to create a good business. Before we do, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I am recording this podcast on, Bundjalung Country. And I pay my respects to the elders past and present, and I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. All right, let's get into it. Today's guest is Molly Jean Deju, who is the general manager of Longchamp, Singapore and Malaysia, and the founder and podcast host of Emotional Inclusion. Molly is a champion of change and she's leading a movement to the next normal, something she calls the emotional accepting corporate ecosystem. Today in this episode, we dive into Longchamp and why she has been with the business for 16 years and what Longchamp is doing to be more sustainable. Then we pivot a little bit and talk about the new normal and the change we're seeing in businesses big and small and how we can be champions of that change to create workforces that are more emotionally inclusive. Hi, Molly. Welcome to the show. So lovely to have you here. Hi, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Early morning for me, evening for you. (laughs) Yes, I appreciate you getting up early for me. So Molly, let's start with a little bit of backstory. You're a true global citizen growing up in Africa, Paris, New York, and then moving to Hong Kong and Singapore. You landed a job with Longchamp 16 years ago. I'd love to know, How did you get the job and why have you stayed for 16 years? Uh, Well, it's such a good question. I, well, I landed the job. I started my career with Longchamp uh, 20 years ago out of New York as I was a a fresh graduate then and landed uh, my job there and stayed a year and a half and then moved on to another company. And then, lo and behold, moved to Hong Kong, which for me is the New York of Asia in so many ways. So the transition was smooth. And I, uh, I think it was at, at the right place at the right time. They were looking for an uh, Asia-Pacific wholesale director uh, to oversee uh, the, the region and uh, do a, quite a bit of business development because at the time, uh, there was uh, still a lot to do in terms of growing, growing the brand, and I uh, heard of the position, and uh, of course presented myself, and they knew me. They still ran me through the batteries of interviews, uh, but I landed the job, uh, and you know, ironically, I didn't speak. Cantonese. I didn't speak Mandarin. Uh, I was a young Franco-American 
girl arriving in Hong Kong. And I still, to this day, don't know why they gave me the job, but they did. Um, but it was such a wonderful uh, opportunity to get to know the region and to do a hefty load of business development. Uh, and I look back today and I see all of these stores that are still existent that I opened. And I, um, you know, I feel a tremendous amount of pride in that. But uh, I've stayed with Longchamp because of its ethos. And it's a company that is still a family-owned company, which is today quite rare as most companies are, as you know, uh, snatched up by, by huge conglomerates. And so the fact that it's family-owned allows it to really go at its own pace and to stick with its uh, values altogether. Obviously, you're um, inspired by the values, but I'd, I'd also love to know, how is Longchamp a good business? Well, as I, as I mentioned, they take their time. And I've seen so many companies try to grow their business too quickly, that it be uh, through completely redesigning their store uh, feel and tone or uh, opening up stores left, right, and center too quickly, or um, simply put, uh, being very aggressive when it comes to we work from a standpoint where you know moving slowly is better and sticking to what our customers want and really taking the time to listen to them. And, uh, and, and, and work alongside them through developing relationships with our customers, which is uh, such an integral part of our uh, business ethos, uh, that you know, we, we've been able to be sustainable in the long term. A lot of companies out there don't, uh, but also uh, we are a company that really truly cares about the humanity of the individuals we employ, which is not the case everywhere. And I, you know, I'm happy to say that at Longchamp, we really walk our talk in that sense. That's fantastic. You know, I'm kind of a little bit surprised. I'm doing a lot of research uh, and I feel like transparency in how people are treated in the production and manufacturing areas of fashion is uh, one area that is always not as clean or as brought to the front as it should be. Um, and it's one area that I think a lot of fashion businesses really need to lift their game. And there's lots of websites out there now that rate businesses on their transparency. One thing that was interesting is Longchamp doesn't really talk about it or rate highly in transparency on, on particularly production wage. Is that a strategy or is that considered approach? Well, I think generally speaking, the people who uh, talk the most do the less and or do the least rather. Uh, we, again, are very active in that realm in terms of, you know, for example, how we, uh, for example, our bags are, when we're talking about sustainability, for example, you know, our leather bags are only made with leathers of animals we can eat, right? Our tanneries 
are, you know, really ensured that we, again, we follow protocol to make sure that we are uh, polluting in the least way we can. We are factories. We, we opened a few years ago an eco-friendly factory where, again, uh, you know, we have, you know, um, solar panels. We have um, we, we have a host of um, uh, sort of dispositions and uh, elements in, in in that factory that make it such that again it's as eco friendly as possible. We don't feel the need to you know again uh, make it a a big media push to state that we are active. Uh, on a CSR level, um, and and uh, but we do speak about it. Our our, our president Jean Jean Cazrin does uh, speak to it when asked. Uh, but we we like to come from a front of again humility, and there's a lot to be said about intellectual humility. And I was just writing on it yesterday, where again it takes a hefty dose of knowing that you are doing the right things uh, whilst always being humble enough to, to, to understand that there's always more to learn. Uh, it's a very crowded space. Um, I know a few companies, big companies that do a tremendous amount in this arena. And, and again, don't uh, make it a stance to uh, mediatize. Uh, the, the problem with mediatizing it too much is that it can come across as being, a, you know, a marketing push, or uh, it can come across as being fake, basically. And we, uh, you know, we we really again align with authenticity. That is one of our core values. And when asked. We answer. We answer candidly, um, but we don't feel the need to to, to scream it off from rooftops uh, as a as a general stance. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like there's a, a wave of new consumers that are really seeking out these credentials of sustainability and thoughtful, caring business practices. Um, and there's a lot of sites out there now that just compare how good brands are doing. But yeah, I feel like people do want to know what they're buying is ethical and sustainable. And Absolutely. And you see, for example, our pliage bag, which is the nylon foldable bag we all know, and you perhaps have a few in your closet, um, is, uh, is actually the most sold bag in the world. And um, it is now made of recyclable nylon. So that is one, you know, big, big change that we've made as well. You can imagine the most sold bag in the world. We um, manufactured quite a few. Um, so that was a big, big statement in its own uh, overall um, in terms of walking our talk. Um, and then there's the B Corp certification that is also an important one, not an easy feat to get it. Um, and, you know, again, we, we do, we do a lot, um, but we're doing it mindfully. Um, and definitely to your point, I think you're absolutely spot on. 
And so how do we make sure, specifically moving forward, that, again, uh, our employees feel that they are uh, really um, investing their time in a purposeful mission that is driven by the company. That that is really, uh, again, it's so important today uh, to, to really zero in on, to really put at the centerfold of our agendas in order not only to retain uh, our employees and not only to make sure that they are staying engaged, but also to recruit new talent. And the Gen Zers are, um, you know, the the future of work. And they are very adamant about having an experience in the workplace that is one that is worthwhile, that is one where they are going to be also able to grow and able to leave a footprint where they can tell themselves that they have done something good. Look, I hear my my 10-year-old uh, just speaking yesterday about, ah, oh, you know, maybe I should have my friend come over just to pick up one of the artwork we did together because that would be wasteful, you know, in terms of um, in terms of gas for her mother. And you know, here she is having this sort of rationale. I'm thinking, I never thought about that at ten years old, you know, and and. You know, and where is that even coming from? And these children, uh, these, uh, you know, again, and, and Gen Zers specifically, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the millennials aside purposefully, are really, really, again, um, intent on caring for our planet. Mm. And so what do you see next on the Longchamp uh, sustainability journey? Do you do you foresee in the future having bags that perhaps have leather alternatives and, and not using animal products? Like, yeah, I'd be interested to know crystal ball gazing. Sure. I mean, we, we a, a, a big part of our collections are not obviously not just leather, but uh, sustainable nylon, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and canvas. And so we, um, and, and in terms of the ready to wear, that we that we have we, we you know which is all manufactured in Italy we we again we make sure that it's keeping close to the sustainable route so uh, well so our leathers again are made of animals we can eat our tanneries are eco friendly are you know a, a big segment also of our collections are are not leather so um, there's a nice balance that is there and that we will continue to keep uh, and that we will continue to, you know, make sure that we hone in on, on a, a production level, on a supply chain level in order to stay in line with, um, you know, the sustainable criterias out there. Mm, very cool. Um, and look, I want to switch gears for a minute. I love what you personally have been doing with emotional inclusion. You're a, you're a champion. And I'm not sure if emotional inclusion is a phrase that you've coined yourself, but you definitely own it in Singapore. And it, it's something that I think is very dear to my heart. Like I definitely in my own business and personal philosophy really believe in the 
value and the importance of creating a trust and a, I suppose, a beautiful workspace where people feel um, held. I'd love to start just in this new direction. Can you just share with everyone what is emotional inclusion? Sure. Well, thanks for that, uh, Chris. Actually, it's, uh, again, you know, after two decades in the workplace and in the corporate landscape, I always uh, have been very cognizant of the fact that a great deal of humanity lacks within the workplace, that we have a very archaic landscape in our 21st century world we live in. And uh, when deep diving into the matter, I realized that the larger companies, for the most part, that do have diversity, equity, and inclusion company, inclusion platforms, excuse me, speak of all kinds of inclusion, but they don't talk about emotional inclusion. And you know, we are human beings, we're wired to feel, we emote before we even reason. And why is there still such a void in the corporate landscape where, uh, again, showing up with our full selves at work is shunned upon? Why do um, emotions in the workplace, once again, still equate to weakness or unprofessionalism? And so emotional inclusion uh, was a byproduct of understanding again that there was a void of emotional inclusiveness within our workplaces today. And so what we do is that we work with companies and help them really structure wellness pillars within their organizations in a medicalized way. So I think again, there was a real waking up um, with companies at large, especially in the backdrop of the pandemic, where the anxiety levels are still running high, where the stress levels are still running high, and where companies, and I work with quite a few, you know, tell me, we don't know how to tackle this in a laser-focused way. You know, we understand that there is a huge lack of engagement. There's a huge issue with retention. There's, uh, you know, a huge issue with how to navigate uh, the well-being of our employees in such a way that uh, we can make it a an integral pillar of our companies. And so emotional inclusion works with companies um, and, and, and again, creates mental health pillars uh, whilst respecting their organizational DNA. And that's so important, you know, because every company is different. Every company aspires to um, making a mark in this world in, 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 a, in, a, in a different way. Um, so it's been truly humbling work um, and we are uh, you know going to be hopefully uh, within the next few years to come bringing that you know to the world not just in Singapore but throughout APAC we've trademarked emotional inclusion. Oh congratulations. Yeah thank you. It's been a really big win um, and, and I have my book coming out so Oh, I'd love to hear about your book, but I want to know what triggered this. Was there something that happened? Well, I think there were a host of different things. Um, I, of course, heard and witnessed 
so many, well, heard so many stories and witnessed so many people navigating work while it's going through a difficult time, that be divorced, that it be an, an illness, um, you know, friends, a few friends who had cancer and have had to, again, navigate work in that way, having people who had lost a loved one and, and who seemingly, um, and actually it was not just seemingly, but obviously really battling through their emotions uh, at work to try and just get through their days, right? And I think that mindset of employees, because they are afraid to speak up, because if they speak up to HR, and for example, and mention that they have an issue and nothing can be done, well, you know, at that point, it's 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 embarrassing. It's extremely vulnerable to them because now their story is out of, you know, out, out of the, you know, you know, it's, it's no longer, you know, it's out of the box, um, and so. And of course, I've gone through my own stories. You know, I, I, um, I'm talking about one specifically in the book that will be launched uh, next April, uh, with, and it's coming out with Penguin um, Random House um, in yeah in April 2023. Um, but I, I can share one story of you know losing a child, and I think uh, so many women can relate to that. And having to literally go to work a few days later. No, but I think it's it's a reality for so many for so many women, and I want to say men and women, right? Because we live in a culture that still really promotes for men to remain stoic, to God forbid, not show any emotions. Thankfully, I think things are starting to change. Um, I have stories of global leaders in my book that are men and who are sharing their their um, their difficult patches um, with such bravery and um, and and vulnerability you know and I I think we the world needs more of that I think the workplace needs more of that um, because it's in so many ways the glue that allows us to relate to each other as humanity. According to a Harvard Business Review um, uh, paper, 60% of employees still today have never spoken about mental health at work, right? Why? Because because they're afraid, because there's no structure uh, necessarily in place for them to do it in a safe um, and confidential manner. And that is so profoundly key uh, for them to be, for employees at large, to be able to know that they can speak up uh, with, um, in, in, in a safe environment. But it also takes leaders to themselves really be open about their own stories of uh, vulnerability, of difficulty. And so that is something that I, that I really push forward. This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, 
or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to thelaunchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. So Molly, how do you measure emotional inclusion and the impact it can have on a workplace? Well, you can, as in anything you, as in any business, you have the quantitative and then you have the qualitative, right? And so it's the same for emotional inclusion. So the quantitative will be through, of course, the engagement rates. It'll be through your retention rates. It'll be, you know, through the, uh, you know, number of, of sick days that are taken. Because again, let's face it, and let's all please candidly speak up on this. When our employees take sick days, it's not necessarily because, you know, they have high temperatures and are glued to their beds. It's in most cases because they're burnt out and because they just need a day to to recoup. Um, So there's, again, the mind-body connection is a real thing. And so, again, sick days are a big, big issue in terms of um, how we... Uh, measure a, again the wellness of our of our employees, um, and on a qualitative level, through really measuring the wellness, um, the emotional wellness of our employees through an internal barometer. Um, so again, at emotional inclusion, we have psychologists uh, working with a company over the course of our 12-month program, again, to create that pillar, that wellness pillar. Um, And so as they see employees in a confidential way, they uh, also are able to gauge what the main thematics are, right? And so uh, on a monthly level, then we, uh, you know, vest time in creating content and creating workshops and creating dynamic interchanges with employees to tackle those issues. And those emotional triggers vary from one group to another, from one company to another. Again, because the ecosystems are different, because the culture and the DNA of each company is different. So there needs to be a very laser-focused approach to really measure uh, in a way that is consistent. So we do quarterly reports with the companies we work with uh, in order to gauge the progress that we do um, within the few criteria that I've mentioned, and there are more. Uh, and then, of course, we you know, wrap in the qualitative as well. And Molly, what's your message to small business owners that want to make sure they have an emotional, inclusive company? What can they do? Oh, well, look, I get this question quite a bit. And I first and foremost want to say, if you are really vested in walking your talk in terms of the emotional wellness of your company, big or small, you need to make it a, you know, really a, a, a priority um, and a priority where uh you look at your business um, as your business as a whole and see where you can perhaps extract a set amount of budget in order to allow for there to be real medical help 
I think, again, when it comes back to smaller companies that uh, want to seriously invest in the mental health of their employees, they need to understand that, um, one, unless they do it, they'll be left behind because their people will leave. Um, they'll uh, either be burnt out or, I mean, the great resonation, the silent resonation, it all speaks to it. I have uh, quite a few friends who have smaller companies who are just going through that. And they've asked me the same question. What can we do? Well, I said, well, look, you know, for example, you know, what COVID has taught us is that we don't need to travel as much as we used to in the first place. So can you take some of your traveling budget and perhaps allocate it to, uh, you know, a mental health scheme? Um, where can you basically extract a few dollars left, right, and center in order to make mental health a priority? Because if you don't, just in terms of um, attractiveness, right, as a company, uh, uh, you won't be in a measure of recruiting the best possible talent because you won't have a structure where employees feel, ah, I know that if I join this company, I will be cared for um, on a mental front. I think that smaller companies need to see where they can scrape dollars to really be serious about the said issue. The second point is they need to practice vulnerability and empathy and truly listening and um, from, from the very top. Um, I think that again, unless our leaders of today uh, practice what they preach, their employees will not follow. Uh, and that isn't an overnight thing, right? It's something that is cultivated as one goes along um, but again, I always zero back to the fact that unless you really seriously show your employees that you are investing in a medical health, in a medical, uh, yeah, medical health pillar, they won't trust you. The, the issue of trustability is a huge thematic within companies, uh, today where again, employees uh, don't don't simply trust you know um, their their leaders yeah do you think that's changed a bit with covid i mean you know the new normal of work from home for lots of companies definitely means companies are forced to trust their employees do you feel like that has changed at all do you, or do you feel like work from home is only damaging the employee health that's such a good question I, well i think you have the companies that are open to flexibility, who understand that there is, you know, no way around it. And then you have the companies that are very against it. And there is a component of culture here. So again, uh, but uh, whether or not we've been forced, per se, to trust our employees better, um, it, it is perhaps... Uh, yeah, is perhaps aiding our workers, our employees to feel more balanced, but it's it's not enough. You know, I think again we need to 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 invest more time in a matter that is direly, direly needed. 
Now, what I'd love to do is just jump into some rapid fire questions just to close this out. Firstly, do you have any business advice or a business mantra that you repeat to yourself or you kind of keep coming back to? Yes. And it's a Brene Brown quote and it's comparison is the thief of joy. And for me, in all of my endeavors, I try and, and keep my blinders on and really focus on what I truly believe in, um, whilst knowing that uh, staying humble is, no matter what, always a, a you know a, a a standing force in in, in what I do humility, um, having the humility to know that one never knows enough, that all roads lead to Rome. Um, but, but yeah, so uh, not comparing and really focusing on, on what I do and, and, and staying, um, yeah, staying humble throughout it all. And I, I love that Brene Brown quote. Nice. Brene Brown. Yeah. Everyone loves a bit of Brene. Um, okay. So which of these which of these expressions resonates the most to you? Luck favors the open mind or fortune favors the bold? Love favors the open mind. Okay, beautiful. And tell me, what does community mean to you at Longchamp? I think community to me at Longchamp and beyond um, is a general sense of belonging, uh, knowing that we are all equal parts of a puzzle with our strengths and weaknesses and that that we all belong. Mm, that's beautiful. I want to ask you, what has been your favourite or best business collaboration or partnership that you've, you've been involved in? Um, there are so, so many, uh, but I just, I'm really proud of my latest one where I collaborated with the Singapore Global Network, which is a branch of the Singapore Economic Development Board. And we um, we enacted as real community drivers in the realm of mental health. And last month was, uh, we had Mental Health Day. And we uh, brought forth a um, an event called Mental Health Unfiltered. And we congregated uh, 50 People, so between C-suite leaders, press, um, and business mental health advocates in one room, and I had two stellar psychologists, two business, two mental health advocates. I was one of them, and we uh, brought the community and talked about mental health in an unfiltered, unsugar-coated way, and it was such a massive hit. And um, I feel tremendously proud that you know emotional inclusion and uh, the Singapore Global Network came together in, in this really meaningful collaboration. And I, I'm not one to feel very proud very often because I'm, I'm the quintessential type A, uh, but I, I, I saw how meaningful it was to people. And, you know, and when you see that little spark in the eyes of, 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 of uh, in, in people and when you see, aha, uh, you know, it resonated, gosh, you know, what's better than that? Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, congratulations. That does sound amazing. I will have to check that out. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite business book? Right now I'm reading the book by 
Adam Grant called Think Again. Um, and I highly, highly recommend it. Um, there's so many just, I, I should show you my book. It's literally highlighted, <laughs> bookmarked everywhere. Um, I lo- obviously, I love Adam Grant. Um, and he has so many sort of like light bulb um, uh, sort of quotes in his book. And uh, so I, I suggest that one right now. And there's another one by Hubert Joly called The Heart of Business, which is a really good one too. Oh, that, that does sound like my cup of tea. Um, and lastly, at Launchpad and at Honeycombers, we believe a rising tide floats all boats. So I was wondering, do you have another entrepreneur that's running or is involved in a good business that we should invite onto this podcast? I'd have to give that one a think because there are a few, but none are coming to my mind right now. I know this sounds terrible, uh, but I will come back to you on that one, I promise. You can come back to me. So Molly, I'm, I'm just going to jump back in here because we were just having a great chat after we hit hit the stop button. And that always happens. Like so much great chat happens as soon as you press stop. But I really loved what you were sharing with me about false assumptions. So can you just tell me more about that? Yeah, I think that is, you know, also an area that is so overlooked and the, the importance of not overlooking false assessment, false assumption. And that arena, uh, again, as human beings, we have a tendency of doing that, right? When we're, uh, I don't know why that is, uh, but it's, it's just wired in us to just assume that because someone has a smile on their face or because someone is appearing quote unquote normal, that they that everything is happy and jolly in their lives, um, and that is such a dangerous realm. And I think again, when it comes to properly communicating, yeah, going beyond the "how are you," but I find that to be such a superficial sort of discussion in the first place. Um, but what it what it conveys is pushing the envelope further the uh, further uh, from the answers that we generally get. That's not an easy thing to do because not everyone is willing to talk. Um, but always bearing in the corner of our minds, and that's something that I really try and again and walk my talk with, is never assuming that anyone is okay. And um and some and and, and you know, if you are awesome, but I always come from that or try. And I, and I, and I really, I really encourage um, everyone to do the same, to come from a heart and mind space where whomever you come in contact with, um, and it can be, you know, perfect stranger that you share, you know, a, you know, a one minute elevator ride or someone you pass in the street who, or um, a colleague you bump into in the pantry at work or, you know, someone you meet for a business uh, luncheon or whomever that um, maybe, just maybe something is going in their lives and they're not talking about it, but knowing that 
you are coming from an empathetic space uh, and that open space of non-assumption makes such a difference and enriches the relationships so much better. And when with a perfect stranger, the power of just a smile can go such a long way. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I suppose an example of that would be if you see someone, you say, how are you? And they're like, good. You know, to, to be like, no, but really, how are you? You know, like you've given me the the superficial answer, but now give me the real, you know, the real story. How how are you really? You know, like really taking that extra minute to kind of go deeper and let them know that you genuinely are interested to hear their authentic, real answer as opposed to uh, it's a, a, a cultural greeting or, or a courteous, you know, exchange of formality but yeah, I suppose it's caring. It's deeply caring about the people around you and not, you know, I think the big thing in the workplace is you get so focused on the doing and getting things done. And I'm very action orientated. So I, I suffer from this. And I think one thing that I've learned just being in a small business for so many years now is just those little moments mean so much to people, uh, you know, because it does demonstrate that you really do genuinely care. So I I think that's a really good message and a really, you know, that's something everyone can do and it costs nothing. A hundred percent. And also, if I may add to the fact that truly deeply listening is, is, is such an important component, but also knowing that Someone navigating through a really difficult time might not be ready in the moment to share. And that, um, that is important to know as well, um, but to bear in mind that, you know, um, whatever they give out as little tidbits can be little cues to, to say, ah, maybe. Yes, I think particularly in cross-cultural workplaces, you've really got to look for those cues because people don't communicate the same way you would, you know, like I'm I'm everything on my sleeve, like I will tell you everything (laughs) Um, to a fault, right? You know, I'm a classic extrovert oversharer, but, um, you know, I've, I've now learned that you know, you have to really look for lots of subtle cues and dig and ask and ask again. But yeah, I think that's a really, really good point about the subtle cues. Molly, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I think what you're doing with emotional inclusion is exactly what's needed. And I feel like the time is right in that we're we're ready for change. And I think employees and employers are seeing the wave of change and it's great to speak with someone who's a change maker leading the change. So um, thank you for your time and, uh, yeah, I look forward to publishing this podcast and, and sharing it wildly. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been so lovely chatting with you this morning. Thanks, Molly. All right. So I wanted to share three takeaways from that chat Firstly, assumptions can be dangerous when it comes to people's emotional and mental health and how we really need to deeply care for our people and it can be as simple as just taking a few extra minutes to check in with someone. Um, The next thing is we really need to be conscious, uh, particularly in cross-cultural organisations, of subtle clues, really need to pay attention. 
And then finally, I think the big one is that businesses today really need to invest in third-party medical support to truly have a safe and emotional inclusive workplace. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth. I really wanted to spend an hour with these amazing entrepreneurs that really inspire me. Of course, I also created it for you, our listeners, and the wider community at Launchpad, where we're a group of entrepreneurs all trying, or aspiring rather, to create better businesses together. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you have any feedback, suggestions, or just want to reach out, please do. I'd love to hear from you. You can catch me on email at chris at thehoneycombers.com or go to the launchpad.group website and check it out. Thanks for listening. And I hope you leave as inspired as I am to create your own good business.